0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Metal Movers podcast brought to you by Argus Media, a leading independent provider of energy and commodity pricing information. In this episode of Metal Movers, we'll be in conversation with Charles Stevenson from Arch Sustainable Resources Strategy, discussing how the broader public engages with critical minerals. Arch Sustainable Resources Strategy has a particular focus on developing sustainable supply chains for critical minerals and the energy transition. Charles is an analyst with previous experience as a mining geologist. My name is Sean Morris and I'm the Noble Alloys and Coltan reporter for Argus Media here in London. Charles, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Sean, uh, for having me on.
0: Not a problem. Could you start off by telling us a little bit about how you came to be involved in critical minerals and what sort of inspired your interest in this area?
1: Yes, certainly. So, I started off as an exploration mining geologist, uh, looking for gold and silver in Turkey, LCT pegmatites um, in Rwanda, where we're mining for uh, tin and tantalum and exploring for lithium. Uh, I've done a bit of work in Australia, greenfields exploration to brownfields um, copper exploration for in Chile. But all the time whilst being in the field, I've had this question about here is a mineralizing system but what makes a commercial deposit? So this took me on a journey looking downstream to start looking at uh, the consumers of battery material and downstream processing, kind of working backwards. So what is it that an end consumer needs? Who and how is that being processed? And ultimately who is supplying that material? And what are the specific characteristics of such a deposit so from that you can then of course deploy that knowledge into the field and say well this is what i should be looking for good infrastructure good metallurgy and the right uh, mining jurisdiction so that has brought me to arch uh, the sustainable resource strategy where we invest and take cornerstone positions in mining and these midstream processing uh, projects, um, supplying materials into the green transition.
0: So you've been involved in the mining industry um, for almost a decade, I think. Um, How have you seen attitudes towards critical minerals evolve in that time?
1: Well, I'm going to take it to this from a London market's point of view. Investors purely looked at gold and copper. That's what they understood. Um, they understood the grades, how it was processed, and how it was going to be sold. Metals, the base metals, nickel, lead, zinc, and um, tin, though traded on uh, transparently on the London Metal Exchange, were still considered interesting foreign investments and uh, a bit more of a speculative investment uh, sector. The critical minerals, on the other hand, were very much kind of, these are opaque markets, long-term contracts. I really don't want to invest in this space, or if I do, it's a very speculative um, investment. However, now governments have started coming out saying that they want to invest into the growth of the critical mineral supply chain. Um, So we've seen investors flood back into the market and... It's not uncommon to hear lithium, cobalt, graphite being mentioned even on uh, the news channels. I I should actually point out I've seen a couple of political dramas, these same critical minerals being incorporated into the storyline, which is always good to see from my point of view. But they are still challenging projects to get off the ground. Unlike gold and copper, where generally speaking, the grade is the grade, And from simple, easy studying at the beginning of an exploration campaign, we'll have a good idea of how we will process this and what our recoveries will be at the end and who our consumer is going to be. Speciality metals, um, or uh, critical minerals as most of them are now uh, referred to, uh, they have more complex mineralogy. So if you have, for example, lithium, a lithium deposit or hard rock lithium deposit might have spodumene, petalite, lipidolite within the mix of what makes up the lithium grade you get after the drill core um, is sent away and the assays are back. Actually, you need to look at the metallurgy here because though you might have high grades of lithium, petalites are used in, generally speaking uh more in the ceramic industry whereas spodumene is what we use predominantly for the battery industry and they've got two different um pathways to production there and two different end consumers the same with rare earths um, we can say you have a fantastic rare earth deposit now just looking here at the hard rock stuff you have bassin which are carbonate, uh, carbonates and monazites which are phosphates Both of them, again, need two separate different processing routes. So by having a drill core with an assay result is only part of the process. We need to go on and do complex um, metallurgical work to understand exactly what's going to come out at the end of the process. It's not as well understood. Then we have impurities and deleterious elements to consider. And these can be at exceptionally low levels and still be an issue for battery manufacturing. So these need to be considered in our process of determining if a project is going to become viable. So this brings us onto to qualification, a process where battery uh, metals consumers verify that a um, company can produce consistently a product that fits their specific requirements. And being that this can take over two years to achieve, and for most of these critical minerals companies developing their pre-revenue, this is a bit of an issue for financing and getting to production. How can you have two plus years of production to to secure that secure offtake agreement? China, however, has been over the last plus 10 years developing their supply chain, creating a globally um, dominant um, grip over what is now seen as some of the most critical minerals for this energy transition.
0: Right. So you mentioned China there briefly. Uh, it seems like a lot of critical minerals strategies that are being laid out are um focusing on kind of uh, onshoring some of those uh, critical minerals onshoring our supply chains so that uh, you know they're more they're closer to home and more secure. Um, in some ways. But it also seems like one of the biggest hurdles to sourcing critical minerals is nimbyism, right? This idea that we want energy transition, we want electric vehicles, but we don't want to see the new mines and the processing plants appearing in our neighbourhoods. How do you think we can balance the concerns that the wider public might have about new projects with the urgent need for those projects to get off the ground.
1: So I'll take your first part of the question here about onshoring and supply chains. So the US um, has brought in this IRA um, legislation to start getting current producers to start producing these critical minerals in the US, diversifying the current supply chains that we have. The EU is doing a similar thing with critical um, miner- uh, mineral minerals legislations and that's progressing a lot of projects that we thought wouldn't ever go into production actually there's a good chance that some of them could be put into um, into production and overcoming that second part of nimbyism um, and people not wanting projects to be built in their backyard so we do have an urgent need for these projects to get off the ground as you say but the mining industry has got a pretty bad reputation um, for not taking into consideration um, local uh, stakeholders uh, interaction with the projects this is just a very difficult process um, it's going to be a slow process to change people's minds ultimately you aren't digging a hole in the ground you are scarring the ground um, irreversibly though we can sometimes turn these um, large holes into other um, very uh, useful products be that reservoirs to, to hydro dams the, these things have got good number of uses that we can have after they've gone, or we could just fill them up and create new landscapes um, as so many projects we've seen down in uh, in Wales and Cornwall uh, have turned into. But ultimately we're gonna get into this, what's been referred to as the trilemma issue. So people do want minerals or these metals in their products now. We want this energy transition happening now. We don't really want to pay too much for it. We've got a good living, uh, standard of living at the moment. And um, yeah, I don't really want to give up that standard of living. But at the same time, I don't want my products to come from places that it could be detrimental to the environment and the people uh, the, of, of that area. So that's a trilemma because you can't have all three here. If I want materials quickly and I want them cheaply, they almost certainly are going to come at the detriment to um, the environment and the local people of the deposits and pro- projects. So where, what do we do? We've got to kind of balance where, where this is coming from. And I think that's a great reason why projects do need to be built in um, Europe, because we should have high standards for these projects. We do need a couple of projects to really take the lead, which we have. We've certainly seen projects in Sweden with very, very high environmental and social um, standards being developed. Um, Finland as well has got very high um, standards and projects are being developed there. So maybe we need to take these projects and promote them as this is what can happen if a project is run um, sustainably and also be on top of companies who are not keeping to those standards it's just as important for us to call out the projects which are sub uh, international standards as it is for the clothing industry i think that's a possibly a very good analogy for us
0: yeah absolutely and you know we're talking about nimbyism here i think you sort of touched on it there for a moment that um New mines aren't always the only way to secure critical mineral supply chains. I mean, scrap recycling has been a big part of metal markets for a long, long time. Um, and getting the public more involved and engaged with recycling of things like consumer electronics, batteries and durable goods, how much of a role can that play in being a part of the critical mineral solution and beating some of that? NIMBYism.
1: So recycling, that's something that really is a great area to be looking at at the moment. Um, New technologies coming in and being developed within the battery industry are now starting to incorporate circular economy thinking to them. I'm going to build a product, it's going to last for a certain amount of time, and then it's going to be broken down and put back into the system. Well, ultimately, that means eventually we won't need to uh, mine as much materials as um, we do at the moment. But the moment we're going through the transition part and the transition part is going to be needing the whole of our infrastructure basically ripped up. The stuff that's all based on um, this uh, carbon economy needs to be ripped up and converted over to an economy which enables us to use green renewable energies systems in there now that's going to take some time and that's part of that transition uh, component so we are going to have a huge amount of materials coming into our system at the moment we need to think mining is going to be a major component recycling however needs to be taken into consideration of the product we build how's it going to be broken up how's it going to be collected because i think that's one thing recyclers are talking about at the moment is there's a huge amount of material going to the waste dumps but I can't recycle materials and transport it around um, the UK to different sites because a lot of the time a lithium battery isn't a stable product and it's a dangerous product and I can't move it. Or there's distances, there's costs involved in moving these things. Now, you can either go for the subsidies um, direction or... There might be other ways in which a battery can be broken up um, by going back to the car manufacturer. And from there, we have a single location to collect batteries, to recycle batteries, and we make things more efficiently. We just have to think about it. That's all.
0: Absolutely. And uh, another one, uh, another issue I wanted to touch on um, is this emerging issue of there being quite a big skills gap in our part of the world uh, where young people, aren't necessarily interested in working for mining companies uh, because they see this kind of work as being dirty or unethical. Um, You know, there was a Wall Street Journal article recently and a McKinsey study which found 70% of 15 to 30 year olds would definitely not or probably not consider working in mining. So that's, that's a lot of people who are saying that they're not interested in coming into this this industry. How do you think we can bridge that skills gap when young people are so put off by what is quite an ugly reputation for mining?
1: So about young people getting into the industry, um, I can definitely say it has been a very satisfying um, career choice for me. Um, I've always loved being in the outdoors. and. Definitely the mining industry has taken me all around the world to some fantastic places and I, I just couldn't see a better way of traveling and visiting these places. Also, if you want to make a change, be part of that change. Maybe that's a bit cheesy, but it's true. If you aren't there at the table discussing how these transitions are going to take place, then, well, you obviously don't actually care. Okay, you don't necessarily have to work for a mining company um, to make a stand for um, the energy transition. But for new people coming in to just um say, no, I'm not going to go into the industry because it's dirty, maybe that's too much of a blase way of thinking. And I would then take a step back into the education sector. Um, shouldn't we be teaching people about where our minerals and metals come from the stuff that goes into your mobile phone has got cobalt in it has that cobalt come from the DRC where there's been child labour involved in it well how do I go and check that or is it better for us to be talking about deep-sea mining? We know that we can mine uh, materials from the deep sea. It's a low, lower carbon cost than that on the um, terrestrial earth. But do we understand enough about the deep sea to go off and mine it there? Now, these are questions that we need to be asking ourselves because I don't think it's necessarily right that the mining industry goes ste- steaming off in one direction because we are going to just go and look for profit. It's good to incorporate everyone and to have that discussion. You need to educate everyone. Another component I would also um, highlight is the closure of a lot of mining schools in the UK. Um, if we don't educate people and put these skilled people into the workforce, into, the, into mining, then you're not going to have these um, views. And what we did talk about earlier are about bringing in, bringing in diversity of thought. Um, having people from different backgrounds come in and have their thoughts into how a project um, develops, and we need people from the UK who have studied mining. Um, certain part of my education at Camborne School of Mines was to have an environmental. There was a kind of ESG component to what we were taught. Well, that was interesting, and it meant that when I went into the workforce, I was thinking, okay, I'm going to be drilling a hole here. How is this going to affect the community and the environment of where I'm going to be? Um, it's a difficult one maybe for people to ever really get their head around mining, But um, again, we use the fashion industry um, as a good example. Changes are happening there where consumers do want good quality products and want to get rid of fast fashion because the impact of fast fashion has really um, been clearly demonstrated uh, with um, child labour and the likes. If we can give people the opportunity to have a choice between a product that has come from a transparent um, supply chain and one that is most likely going to be cheaper, what are consumers going to go for? And if they're educated, they'll go for the right thing. And hopefully that'll change people's views on the mining sector.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for joining me today, Charles. It's been really, really nice to speak with you. Um, thank you for Thank you for coming.
1: Thank you, Sean, for having me.
0: And if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please tune into some of our other episodes. For more news and analysis on any of the critical minerals mentioned here today and other metal markets, please visit argusmedia.com.